We are continuing in our series, uh, I say our, our study through the book of John. So we're in John chapter one, we're finished with the prologue of the first 18 verses. And so now we are in verse 19. And so if you will turn in your Bibles to John chapter one, John chapter one, if you need a pew Bible, look right there in front of you. If you will grab that Bible and turn with us to page 886, you will be right there at John chapter one. We're going to start in verse 19 in our study. But before we read, I want to remind you of where we've already been when it comes to a man named John the Baptist. Because the question we want to ask right out the gate today is, who is John the Baptist? You may have a, a picture of him on a, on a felt board when you were a kid in Sunday school and, and thinking that's John the Baptist or you remember him wearing the camel's hair and, and, and eating honey and uh, having a rugged beard. Maybe you saw him on a movie and that's the picture that you have of, of John the Baptist. But I want us to become better acquainted with John the Baptist today and see what we have in common with John the Baptist and what I hope we desire in the same as John the Baptist. And so in John 1, 6 through 8, the Apostle John uh, gave us a, a little bit of glimpse of John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So we looked at this a few weeks ago. Remember, we compared it to being a witness and how we can be a witness today. This was the Apostle John's description of John the Baptist. This was for the purpose of providing clarity, that it could be crystal clear that John the Baptist was never to be mistaken for Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John brings us up close to examine John the Baptist. And that's what we see starting in verse 19. And here's the question, who are you? This question is asked to John the Baptist. He will answer this question, but before we go any further, we need to know who is asking this question. Who are you? And we read, it says, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. It was the Jews. And in this context, the Jews are the unbelievers in Jerusalem. We're going to learn a lot more about them. John writes about the Jews throughout his book. And when he refers to the Jews, he's speaking of unbelievers there in Jerusalem. But not just unbelievers, get this. Not just unbelievers, but righteous unbelievers or religious unbelievers. How could you put those two words together? Because that fit the description of the Jews. They saw themselves as righteous, but they were unbelievers. They saw themselves as religious, but indeed they were unbelievers. So you might ask this question, is it even possible for one to be religious and yet remain an unbeliever? And the answer to this question is a resounding yes. Indeed, it is very possible. It's what we call today nominal Christianity. A nominal Christian. What is a nominal Christian? A nominal Christian sees Christians as moral people. They're good moral people. They're, they're nice. They observe the golden rule. 
They're kind. They're pleasant. They're morally righteous. This nominal Christian thinks that as long as he is morally right, that indeed it makes him a Christian. Doing what's right in his own life makes him a Christian. Or nominal Christians believe that because they are descendants of other Christians, that that makes them Christian. So you are a Christian if your family members are Christians. Believe it or not, that can be very common in South Georgia. There are many people who are raised in homes where the name of Jesus is spoken and where they attend a local church. And they think because of these things, because they're a part of this type of family, that they themselves are indeed Christian. They would say something like this, I've been a Christian my whole life. Now, that can be the testimony of somebody who truly repents at a young age and follows Jesus. You've heard us pray this for our kids, that they would never remember a day in which they didn't hear the name of Jesus. That's not what we're referencing when it comes to a nominal Christian. A nominal Christian just thinks they've always been Christian. Christian from birth. Christian because they were born into a Christian family. Or they're Christians because they attend church. Because they've always attended church wherever they've been, they're always there. And because they're at church, it makes them a Christian. Or Christians are people who prayed the prayer and walked the aisle. The nominal Christian would say, I can guarantee you there was a moment when I prayed that prayer. And there was a moment when I got baptized. I'm indeed a Christian because of those things. And although those things can be very important for accountability and following scripture, being baptized, but just doing those things alone without repentance does not make one a Christian. Christians are people who need to be baptized, but just because they've been baptized does not make them a Christian. And Christians are people who belong to a Christian society, says the nominal Christian, because they live in the United States or because they live in the Bible Belt. That makes them Christian. We're a Christian nation. So obviously I'm Christian. If you were to hop on a plane and go across the pond to a continent called Africa, and you were to mix and mingle with the people and get to know them, many of them would be disgusted at how we act over here and what they see on mainstream television because they say, you are Christians. They believe that everybody in the United States is a Christian because they live in this land. That's the nominal Christian. Nominal Christian thinks because I live in this area, indeed, I am a Christian. For the unbelieving Jew, the religious unbeliever, they would think the same way because they have been raised with Jewish roots that indeed that they are God's children and they would have nothing to worry about. And that's a danger if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I hope you hear me say this, it is a danger to think that just because you've been raised in a local church, because you live in a community where there are a lot of Christians, because maybe you've been baptized, that you're just safe. The question you need to ask is, are you following Jesus right now? Are you faithfully following Jesus? So yes, it is very possible to take the teachings of God and attempt to live by them while still rejecting his power, his authority, and his grace. And so this is a moment of pause for all of us today for us to ask this question, am I a religious unbeliever? Am I a nominal Christian? 
Do I accept the word of God as good, but reject to get the salvation that he alone offers? Is this me? Is is he talking about me? It's an honest question that we should all ask ourselves and examine it according to the scriptures today. And this was the dilemma for the Pharisees and the Jews in the first century. They touted that they were God's chosen children, but they rejected God's chosen savior. And if you reject Jesus, then you reject God. How could this be true? Because nominal Christians or religious unbelievers are not convinced that they need to repent. Did you hear that? That's how it's true. That's how you can believe in God but reject Christ because nominal Christians would say, I don't really have a need to repent of anything. They don't see themselves as bad people, but more in the light of, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person over there or this group of people over here. I'm not like them. You don't understand. I was raised a good child. That's what a nominal Christian would say. The Jews, the Pharisees, would fit the term nominal believer. And understand this, a belief without repentance leads to destruction. A belief without repentance leads to destruction. What does repentance look like? I said, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for my sin. There was that one-time repentance. But no, repentance is not a one-time moment. It's daily. That's why we say repentance is not an old-fashioned word. It should not be old-fashioned to us. We should be rather familiar with repentance. We should repent constantly. It means dying to sin is the life of repentance. Thomas Watson, from 1620 to 1686, he lived his life, and he says, dying to sin is the life of repentance. I want to ask you today, are you dying to sin? Are you trusting in Jesus to help you overcome the sin in your life, to be dead to that sin and alive to the eternal life that he has provided for you. So with that understanding, let's go back to verse 19. John the Baptist asked the question, who are you? Or the question is asked to him, who are you? The men asking are dressed in their finest robes and probably most certainly carrying with them religious clout. As for John the Baptist, he's dressed in rough clothing, rough beard, rugged appearance at best, But obviously the word had spread all the way to Jerusalem that something amazing was happening by the River Jordan. That all of Jerusalem, as we read in the other gospels, all of Jerusalem was coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And yet when they arrive, they say, here is a man who has not been given authority by the Sanhedrin to baptize. But he was taken upon himself to baptize hundreds of people. And so just maybe, just maybe, he could be the Messiah, the most authorized priest and Levites were sent to test this out. Surely they would know, if anyone would know, it would be these men, the priests and the Levites who were constantly in the temple doing work for God. So John the apostle reminds us of the encounter and If we were to find out who John the Baptist was, we must first find out who he is not. So follow with me here in verse 20 and following. 
Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's his first response, I'm not the Christ. Secondly, verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. I am not Elijah returned. And then he continues on, and they ask, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. He's not the prophet which Moses spoke of to come. And I want you to notice something. His answers are shortened with each question. I am not the Christ. I am not. No. He gets right down to it. No, I am none of these. So it leads to verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here is a moment of testing for John the Baptist. Right here with hundreds of people, as I can imagine, surrounding him, wanting to be baptized. Fame is beginning to build. People are beginning to speak his name, but yet he remains solid, steadfast, unwavering. How does he do it? Because we've seen time after time after time when somebody's given a little bit of fame, how it can lead to such great destruction. But they ask him, who are you and what are you doing? And right here with his number two pencil in hand, he, he fills out every answer correctly. So grateful for his faithfulness. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John says, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. You ever tempted to boast in your own doing? Anybody recognize a talent of yours and instead of just saying, hey, thank you, or I appreciate that, or, you know, very blessed. No, you take it a step further. You want to continue to tell them how great you are in that gift. John the Baptist right here, he stops it. He says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. But not just any voice. We're going to see a, a most special voice. But he says, that's all. My purpose is to prepare the way of the Lord by preaching repentance. I will sit here to preach the most unpopular message on earth. Repent. Turn from who you are. Because who you are is not good enough. Who you are is leading to destruction for all of eternity. So what about you? John the Baptist was asked this question, who are you? Do you know who you are in light of who Jesus is? And why are you here? Meaning not why are you here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church this morning, although I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? Why are you here on this earth? Do you know? Do you know the answer to that? Are you most convinced of that answer? Who are you and why are you here? Because this is what John the Baptist has to answer in this moment with all of these people around him in the midst of baptizing. These are significant questions that require sincere answers. No time for games. Sincere answers here. So the first question, who are you? This deals with identity. Let's look in our own lives just for a moment, shall we? As we, we measure it according to scripture here, what is our identity? Who are you? Do your roles or your accomplishments define your identity? Is that who you are? What about your lineage or your ethnicity? Is that who you are? 
You, you, you take pride where you come from, your last name, your family name, but you take so much in that. That's your identity alone. Is that who you are? What about your job history or the schools that you attended? Is that who you are, your identity? I always love when I go to a college football game and I hear this, well, they didn't attend the university. They're not real fans. You, you know what you hear in that statement? Identity. My identity was where I attended. And a lot of times we stake our identity in many places. Maybe our marital status or our parental role. Maybe you're saying, I don't know what life was like before having kids, but now I'm, I'm just a parent. That's all I am. That's all my identity. That's all I ever do is parent, parent, parent. Pick up Cheerios on the floor once again. It's like Groundhog Day. Is that your identity? Professional Cheerio picker-upper? Maybe you're defined by the disc profile or Myers-Briggs categories. I always find it interesting in, in the disc profile that it's always the D personalities that are quick to proclaim that they're a D personality. Yes, I'm a D. I know it. I have my weaknesses, but I'm a D. I'll let you know I have authority. If you're here today and you're a D personality, you're already thinking about how you're going to confront me after the service. It's all good. I love every D personality in this room. Maybe it's money, achievements, approval from others. Is that your identity? You desperately want it. You desperately need it. You're always in search of it. Or does your sin define you? This can be very common among all of us. What do you mean by that? Well, do you see yourself as the angry person? Is that how you think of yourself? Is that your identity? I'm the angry person. I'm the jealous person. I'm the sexual addict. I'm the anxious people pleaser. I'm the worrier. Is that your identity? Is that where you find your identity? Or what about your afflictions? It's my disability. It's my cancer. It's my divorce. Is that where you find your identity in these things? Because it can be so much more. We all go through similar things here. Something here is something that every one of us in this room, at least one, two, three, many, go through. So who are you? What is your identity? For John the Baptist, he was a voice. And he was pleased to be the voice crying out, repent. And these men were sent by the Pharisees. And they come to John the Baptist. And the one thing we will learn about the Pharisees throughout the book of John is they had no use for John's message because they would have no use for Jesus. They would have no use for him. Matthew 3, 7 through 9, we read of a, a different encounter of John the Baptist with these religious leaders and some Pharisees and Sadducees who came but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's never a nice thing to call anybody. That means like you group of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Lineage. 
For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. What a powerful message. You think you're somebody because of your lineage, because of your heritage, because of your ethnicity? No, God can use these stones over here. He can raise them up to be faithful. He calls them a brood of vipers. Why? Because they see no need of repentance. Verse 25 and following as we look in John chapter 1. Before I read that, sadly, it's millions of people today who believe likewise. They have no use for Jesus. To the unbeliever, as you're here today, can I speak to you for a minute? Why is it that you have no need for Jesus? Why do you have no need for Jesus? Because I'm most convinced that our greatest need is Jesus. And I truly care for you. And many of us here today care for you. And we want you to answer the question, why is it that you have no need for Jesus? What are you in need of if it's not Jesus? If you're wrestling with that, if that's real in your heart and in your mind and your life right now, will you please sit down with us? We love you and we don't want time to pass We want you to be most confident in your answer. And we hope that you'll look to Christ. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So after reading this, we asked this question, what were John's credentials? How could he baptize? If he was not one of these three in which they questioned, what were his credentials? Well, we see his credentials in Isaiah 40. He was the subject of the Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 40, three through five. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And even the ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. and All flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Just one credential. This was him. Spoken by Isaiah, his power by the Holy Spirit. But then we see Luke 1, 7 and 13. His birth was due to the direct and miraculous intervention of God. Luke 1, 15, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. In fact, this isn't the first encounter that he's going to have with Jesus. Because when they were babies, when he was in the womb, and Mary comes walking up to greet the family, John the Baptist in his mother's womb, he leapt, which is even further evidence that we see that there is life, real life in the womb. God's at work. But yet they've had distance from one another. John the Baptist has been in the wilderness and he's waiting for Christ to come. But from his mother's womb, he was there because of the Holy Spirit. John 1, 6, simply a man sent from God is what he says. Matthew 3, 3, his task was to prepare the way of the Lord. These were his credentials. And these men did not know John the Baptist, and they most certainly would not recognize Jesus Christ. John baptized with water, but the one coming after him would do greater things. John's preaching of repentance motivated the human will to change. 
He was calling people to repent, to change their way. So John's preaching of repentance motivated the human will to change, but it was the one who came after him, Jesus Christ, whose message brought the power to change. One was motivation, the other brought power to change. John the Baptist knew that he could never fulfill the role of Christ, and he did not want to. John the Baptist had a right understanding of his own need for Jesus. He says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He says, I'm not even worthy to take care of the feet of the Savior, much more be called to prepare the way for his feet to bring the glorious good news of God. Who am I? Do you share in the same humility? Would you boldly say, I am not the Christ? That made me sound silly. You may not even wrestle with admitting that, but does your life match it? Is he the savior of your life? Can you share in this humility? Would you say, I am unworthy to even take care of the feet of Christ, much more be called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world today? May God deliver us from the evil spirit of boasting and keep us from ever claiming to be anything more than what we really are, and that being sinners saved by grace. So, what was John's greatest desire in his life? If he says, this is who I am not, and this is who I am, what was his greatest desire in life? It was to behold the Lamb of God. To behold the Lamb. The Lamb of God sent by God the Father. Verse 29 and following. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is amazing. Because John quotes from Isaiah 53, which was written 700 years before him. And he recalls it immediately. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's his desire. That's what he's been waiting on. And when he sees Jesus, that's his response. He quotes from the book of Isaiah. I, I heard this from a pastor just recently. I wanted to share it with you today. The book of Isaiah is much like the Bible in the way it's divided up. It's split with 66 chapters. How many books in the Bible are there? 66. The Bible is split into two, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. Isaiah is split in the same way. There are 39 judgment, or chapters on judgment and then 27 chapters on salvation. The Old Testament books speak of warning and judgment, where, as the New Testament books speak about salvation. In, chapter, in the 27 chapters that make up the second section of Isaiah, there are three sets of nine. So we'll divide it by three. Three sets of nine. 
The first nine speak of salvation from Babylonian captivity. The last nine, salvation from the curse in the kingdom to come. Speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. The middle nine, the middle nine of the last 27 chapters of Isaiah speak of salvation from sin. And it's in the middle of those nine, the middle chapter is Isaiah 53. And in the middle of Isaiah 53, it says this, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Right there in the middle of it all, the Holy Spirit has been at work. He's been at work from the very beginning. And here, John the Baptist stands and he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Like John the Baptist, we want to know this. How can we be sure that our eyes are beholding the Lamb of God? How are we sure that we are beholding the Lamb of God and that we are pointing others to behold the Lamb of God? We are to trust. Indeed, we are to trust that we are beholding what is true. Are you beholding the Lamb of God today? Hear these things. Trust that Jesus came to give his life, that indeed he is the Lamb of God. And there's a description given about the Lamb of God, that being Jesus, he was pure, meaning there's no wickedness that was found in him. He didn't come from the first Adam. He didn't have sin running through his veins. He was not a man like us. He was a different kind of man, a man that we desperately needed to do what was right. He was pure, but he's also spotless, meaning that no wicked act was committed by him. He never committed any act of wickedness, never did anything to offend God the Father. 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was also silent. He was a silent lamb. He did not come to defend himself against the wicked, but to lay down his life for a wicked people. Isn't that hard not to be so defensive against the wicked when they bring their charges against us, when they persecute, when they ask you to give a defense for what you believe, and yet they're so hostile? But yet, he did not come to give a defense. He taught, he healed, he went to the cross, but he gave his life for wicked people. And he was silent as he went. And he's a lamb meaning tenderly he came, not to judge us of our wickedness, but to save us from our wickedness. But there will be a time when he will judge. And so we see these things. Do you trust that he is pure, that he's spotless, that he's a silent lamb? And that these things were accomplished as he came here on this earth. So with that, we answer, who are you? Are you one who beholds the lamb of God? That's how I want to be defined. That's how I want my life to be defined. I want everything to revolve around beholding the Lamb of God. Today before us, as we prepare for communion, we will behold the Lamb of God. The second thing besides who are you is why are you here? John the Baptist was clear. He was here to shout, to be a voice, to say repent, to prepare the way of Christ to come. But why are you here? Truly, why are you here on this earth? Are you here just to have fun? Is that it? I mean, is life all about just how can I have fun? And when you're not fun, you're bored. (laughs) 
And you're bored because you want to have fun. And so you're looking for all different types of ways to have fun. That's, that's on the radar for you is fun. Or what about just to relax and enjoy everything? If I could just get to a point where I could relax, enjoy everything. That's, that's why I'm here. Just to relax, have fun, enjoy everything, or make a good living for yourself or for your loved ones. Is that why you're here? Is that the only reason why you're here? Or to provide a better life for your family than what was provided for you? Are you bound and determined that what you have, what you can give to your family is better than you were ever given when you were young? Is that why you're here? Or to climb the professional ladder? Make a bunch of money, make a name for yourself. Are you desperately trying to make a name for yourself? Is that why you're here on this earth? Or to prove to your doubters that they were wrong? Or maybe just to travel the country, which can be fun, by the way. It can be fun. Or to travel the world, but really, that's all you really care about. Most of these things are good things. But when done with a heart filled with sin, is done in vanity and leads to destruction. Why are you here? You need a solid answer. And I firmly believe the only solid answer you'll ever find is in beholding the Lamb of God. Are you here to behold the Lamb of God? Is your life centered on Christ? If so, or if you want it, then observe these things. Trust that Jesus will take away your sin. Maybe that's the biggest hangup in your life right now is you really are not convinced that he would take away your sin. Maybe the sins of others, but not your sin. He came as the one who takes away the sin of the world. Meaning you're in this world. You're filled with all types of worldliness. He can take it away. The second thing is trust that Jesus is eternal. And coming as the Lamb of God has always been God's plan. Can you trust that? Can you trust that the Lamb has always been God's plan? After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's eternal. He's always been. Number three, trust that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together as one. As Jesus was baptized and comes up out of the water, the Spirit comes down like a dove and remained on him. They're in this together. This is the full work of God. And number four, trust that Jesus is the Son of God. No one else is coming behind him. No one else can take his place. He is indeed the Messiah, meaning that your parents are not your Messiah. Your lineage is not your Messiah. Your job is not your Messiah. Your name is not your Messiah. Your steady Eddie that you just want to remain with forever is not your Messiah. Only Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. You see, for John the Baptist, life was all about the Lamb. Could that be so for you? Is that possible in your life? Indeed it is. That's why we're here, that the lamb would be the center of your life and you would behold him every day. I love what A.W. Pink says about the lamb. It was the spirit of God presenting the Lord Jesus to Israel in the very office and character. 
in which they stood in deepest need of him. They would have welcomed him on the throne, but they must first accept him on the altar. And is it any different today? Christ as Elijah, a social reformer, will be tolerated. And Christ as a prophet, as a teacher of ethics, will receive respect. But what the world needs first and foremost is the Christ of the cross, where the Lamb of God offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what the world needs. And in this truth, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who are you and why are you here? My hope is that you are a witness and you are here to behold the Lamb of God. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this sobering reminder. There are many things that go on around us, many things which we strive for, which we hope to attain, but nothing is more important than to behold the Lamb of God. Father, as we come into a time of communion, we ask your blessings upon the receiving of the bread and the drinking of the cup. May we behold the Lamb as we remember that he gave his life for us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.